Right. Well, like I said, we're in Galatians 4, and uh, there's just some, some neat examples that Paul gives in this. He's trying to compel everybody. He's Remember, he, he traveled all through across the island of Cyprus. He got to the far side of Cyprus, and he got sick, and... Somewhere in there he got sick. We don't know if he got sick. He, he went to see the sort of the president of Cyprus who probably sent Paul while he was sick to the president's like Camp David up in Galatia. Little knowing that when he went up into Galatia, Paul would preach the gospel to the Gentiles all up through that whole region. And so these other people followed along behind Paul, and they were like, well, yeah, Paul, he's really great. I mean, those miracles, we're really happy for you that those miracles worked, and you got healed, but you really need to be Jewish in order for all that stuff that Paul said to come true. You really need to be circumcised, you really need to lay off the pork, you need to not mix wool and cotton, 613 laws later, here's all the stuff you got to do. And that was really confusing for the early church because they had just heard the gospel from Paul that Jesus had saved them from everything. It it says, made you free from everything that the law of Moses cannot make you free from. And so as soon as you hear that and then you hear, but you have to follow the law of Moses. Well, I thought the law of Moses couldn't set me free. There's confusion. So he's writing this letter to say, look, don't be confused. The law is done with. You don't have to follow it anymore. You have to believe in Jesus. And Jesus is enough for all of this. So he gives a bunch of examples in here. And he's been giving examples about himself. And as he gets into Galatians 4, he's starting to relate to them on a cultural level that they understand. And he's going to talk about adoption, and he's going to talk about children, and how children grew up, and how children were raised. And what's really crazy is this, all of these examples are not Jewish examples. So in Judaism, they did not have a concept of adoption. If you were an orphan, if you were, if you were an orphan or a widow, if you were a child without a parent... They would take care of you, but your family line would continue on through your parent, from your father. You wouldn't become another family member and your family line would follow through somebody else. No, 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 no. Your father's family line would be preserved. This was so important that if a, if a, if a man and woman were married, Mr. A and Mr. B, or Mr. A and Mrs. A get married, and Mr. A dies, his brother, Mr. B, would marry Mrs. A, and when Mrs. A had a baby, that son, she had a son, that son would not have Mr. B's name, but would have Mr. A's name, and carry on the family line of Mr. A. Even though like we look at that biologically now, and we're like, biologically, that doesn't make any sense at all. He is not, he's not 
That was not how Jewish law was established. Because God, God was really serious and may still be about these family lines and about the, the genealogy and the progression of this family being carried on. And so it was so important as they were building the promised land, inhabiting the promised land, that Mr. A, if Mr. A died without ever having any children, his family line had to continue even through a biologically completely disconnected son. But that was not called adoption. There was nothing, no words about adoption to the Jewish people. To the Greeks, they had adoption. Oh baby, get ready. They had divorce laws that were a lot like adoption laws. Then they had another thing that's really horrible, where you could divorce your kids. And so, if they're over 25, and you don't want them to get your inheritance, and you don't want them to get anything and when they go out in the street and they do a foolish thing and everybody goes hey is that Dan Sullivan's kid nope so they had these written legal documents that somebody could divorce their kids and once you divorced your kids under Roman law you couldn't undo it there was no you know like these people that revised their law their will every week depending on who came to visit them It wasn't like that. You divorced your kids, it was done. But you could also adopt a 30-year-old. So Thanksgiving dinner goes bad, Jim could call me up and he could say, Dan, I'm divorcing all my kids and I'm adopting you, even though you're 47. And I would get adopted. So you could adopt grown Adult, I mean, this is all patriarchy, right? So you, you could adopt grown men, and all of a sudden, under Roman law, they are a full heir. They are a full, fully, they can speak for you, they can get all your stuff, and that can't be revoked. So you can divorce your kids, they're gone, they can't ever come back. You can adopt adult adults that aren't your kids, and when you adopt them, you can't unadopt them. Like they're they're in a safer spot than your own children are. <laughs> Talk about playing favorites, right? So the adopted kids are in a safer spot than your own born kids. Oh, is this crazy yet? So here's Paul in Galatia. And he has been raised in Greek culture. He knows all the Roman rules. He knows how all of this works. His dad was Greek and his mom was Jewish. And he he learned all of this stuff growing up. So now he's writing this letter. And he's trying to convince the Galatians that are mostly Roman background people that they are free from the law. And that Jesus Christ has made you so perfect and so whole and so complete. You don't need anything else. No other burden needs to be put on you. He says, Galatians 4.1. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different than a slave. 
although he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Uh, The modern day version of this would be like a trusteeship. Where you might have a kid that inherits $100 million. But they don't get it till they're 18. They don't get it till they're 21. They don't get it until this age. And they they had this kind of thing set up in their culture. Um, In Galatians 3 we talked about. The law was a schoolmaster that trained us and showed us our need until we came to Jesus. A lot of times you would have like a nanny or a schoolmaster that would be with you until you were about 17 or 18. And then you would have a mentor until you were like 25. How cool would that be? So it's like it's like having an being an apprentice. As soon as you, you know, get out of school, if you went right into an apprenticeship and you had somebody just teaching you how to live life until you were 25, that was kind of the structure he's talking about right here. You might be the kid. This might be your house. Your daddy might have been crazy rich and you've never worried about food in your life, but it ain't yours until you're old enough. As long as you're a child, you're no different than a slave. You still have to do what you're told. You don't have freedom over it. But you have access to it. In the same way, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So when we didn't live for God, we just did our own thing. We lived by the elemental rules of this world. There's something yummy, I'm going to eat it. There's something I don't like, I'm going to kill it. Right? And some of us have really clean flesh, that when we live by our flesh it looks really good. Some of us have really rotten flesh that when we live by our flesh it looks really bad uh, I've, I've had conversation with guys before and I'm like dude you and I are the same except my temptations if I give in to my temptations they pretty well stay hidden and they don't cause an utter catastrophe when you give in to your temptations they are wildly public and they cause an absolute catastrophe A lot of times that's the difference between uh, sin that will get you into the Evansville Rescue Mission and sin that won't. It's it's how, how big of a calamity does it cause in your whole life. But every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And every one of us needs a Savior. And so we live by those principles, but now we have been adopted as sons sons and daughters, into God's family. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. When you believe that Jesus did this, He sends His Spirit to be inside of you. And with that Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. He he says, Abba, Father here. This is crazy. No Jewish person would use the word Abba to talk about God. It would be near blasphemy. Because Abba is daddy, daddy, daddy. 
da 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 da. It is it is the most precious, affectionate, loving name, and. Jewish people would not think that anybody would be so close to the furious, fiery wrath of God to call him da-da-da-da-da. When my son David moved out and he lived with the missionaries, one day he came back and he called me Pops. And I was like, okay, 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 Pops. I can take that like really condescending. Like you're really talking down. He goes, I I don't mean it like that at all. I was like, okay, good. Because I'll bust you if you do. No, I didn't say that. That close intimateness, right? Uh, This this same similar thing. So Dr. Chen is the director of the Evansville Philharmonic Youth Orchestra, and he is this big-time U of E um, concert master, and, and oh, it's Dr. Chin, and his wife is Dr. I don't know what her name is. She's a doctor, too. They're both like PhDs in music, and oh, they're just, wow, they're amazing. They came from China, and they're just, oh. And so Grace is at her violin lesson, and she says, oh, they changed directors of the youth orchestra, and now it's Dr. Chen. And Grace's violin teacher says, Jimmy, I am so glad you got to meet him. And Grace is like, who's Jimmy? She's like, oh, Dr. Chen, but his friends call him Jimmy. And all of a sudden, like whatever we thought about, I mean, we thought Grace's violin teacher was pretty awesome anyway. But she gets to call Dr. Chen Jimmy. She has some inside scoop, right? Like, wow, can we be your friend? You've probably encountered this in your life, right? Where, whoa, you just called him so and so. You know, it's when my high school teacher said, you can call me, and she said her first name. You know, we, now I can call you by your first name? What has happened? The Holy Spirit is in our hearts and transforms us and makes us into a new creation so that the, the, the wrathful, powerful creator of the universe in whom can dwell no sin, can dwell in his presence at all, we can call him by the most intimate, closest, affectionate name that the Apostle Paul had to use. That's how close we are to God. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. You aren't just a really close friend. You're an heir. You can go over to his house and say, Hey, can I have that when you die? He's never going to die. You're an heir. You are going to get every single thing that he has is going to be a part of your life. You can spend a whole week just thinking on what it means to be an heir of God. 
Think about His qualities, His goodness, His compassion, His mercy, His wisdom, His power. You're an heir of that. He wants to give that to you. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. You were just enslaved to all kinds of evils. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've been labored over you in vain. He's saying, if you want to go back to I am righteous because I blank, then the whole gospel I came to preach to you is worthless. Why, why have I tried so hard to tell you about God's grace when you think that you're righteous because this day of the week you do this special thing? Or because every... Christmas time, you celebrate this, you know, it's the holidays, it's the feasts, all of that does not make you righteous. Is it all beneficial? Is it all awesome? Yes, it's absolutely awesome. But in the eyes of God and your righteousness, it does not count. Wow. The weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be. Why do you want to go back to being slaves of that? Why do you want to go back to the daily counting of, let me get my calculator. I did three good deeds and I did four bad deeds. So that means today I need to up my average and I need to outweigh. No. Who would want to go back to that, right? How much better it is to just, well... I'll just keep reading. Verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn me. He's talking about when he was sick and when he came to visit them. How awful. He he must have been really bad off. And (laughs) it doesn't talk about his illness anywhere except for right here. But it talks about after they nursed him back to health and they took care of him and he preached the gospel to him, he went to a nearby city and got stoned and was left for dead. (laughs) And then he went back to the city again. Dude has had a hard time, right? Oh, you you took such good care of me. Uh, Let's see. Let's skip down to verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, like keep doing this. Keep doing the good things that you did when I was there. I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I'm so perplexed. Isn't this awesome how much Paul cared for these people? He cared for them so much. He was just, he's writing this letter and then he's like, oh, I just, I want you to know the freedom of Christ so bad. He started out Galatians 3 saying, you're all stupid. Why are you being so stupid? And now he gets to the end, this middle section of chapter 4. And he's like, okay, okay. I know I called you stupid. I know I got aggravated. I'm changing my tone now. 
I just, I really want you to get this. I really want you to understand your freedom. Tell me. Just, just go with me here, he says. Verse 21. You want to be under the law. Do you listen to the law? Like, do you know what the law is? This is such a great question. Um, Isaac, Isaac was encountering somebody that was just really hitting him hard that the Sabbath was on a Saturday and you had to practice the Sabbath and um, you couldn't work on the Sabbath and just Sabbath, 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 just really beating him over the head. And I'm so proud of him. He said, well, according to that same law, if I disobey the Sabbath, you need to kill me. You need to stone me to death right now. (laughs) I was like, yes, my boy. If you're going to live by a law of I'm going to do this righteous thing and that's going to make me more righteous in the eyes of God, guess what? You have to be all in. You have to follow every single one of them. It actually says that in the law. (laughs) So if you're going to do it, you're not going to almost do it. You're not going to partially do it. You have to do all of it. 613 laws. There's about 15, uh, 613 Mosaic laws in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. There's another 1,500 laws just about the Sabbath. Just about the Sabbath that were written during the Babylonian exile. There are a couple thousand laws regarding marriage. There's a couple thousand laws regarding children that were all added on that were all circulating in the days of Jesus. So sometimes when, when the Pharisees say, he broke the law, and you can't find it in Leviticus what law he broke, it's because he broke one of those Babylonian Talmud add-on Mishnah laws. You've got to be all in. Because if you break one, you've broken the whole law. You have to kill all the Amalekites. That's my favorite one. That's why I bring it up all the time. Number 613 is kill all of the Amalekites. And I think there are some still alive. So there we are. All right. I'm going to have a commercial break. Just because I forgot to mention this earlier. So James, the book of James talks about if you fulfill the law, you have to fulfill the whole law. I helped my friend Rick Underhill finish his... I did not write this book. I just got it on Amazon. Got it printed. So if you want to buy a book on James, you can go to Amazon and look up Rick Underhill and James and you'll see his book that just came out this week, which is very exciting. But James talks about that. That if you're going to obey the law, you have to obey all of the law. And how... How fruitless that is. How, how hopeless that is. So he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you who desire to gain your righteousness by works, do you listen to the law? It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. What's a really awesome play right here by Paul is remember he's talking to mainly Greek background people. And so whatever they've heard of the law, they've heard from these, probably from these travelers that are coming through saying, yes, Paul's great. Your miracles are awesome, but you have to be Jewish. 
And so now Paul is going to sort of out-Jewish them. Say, okay, you want to go there? We'll go there. I'm going to quote the book of Genesis. Here we go. There's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through a promise. So now all of a sudden, Paul is taking this Old Testament story that was a real event, but he's turning it into a teaching and a lesson to show that we are saved by faith and not by our works. Isn't that awesome? All of a sudden, one of the, one of the first, first few events of the Old Testament is showing that it points to Jesus and his relationship with us. One was born by a slave woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman was born through a promise. This may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. That would be super controversial. Because Mount Sinai, I mean, that's like Washington crossing the Delaware, man. Like that, Mount Sinai was where it happened. And that was great. And Moses gave us the law. And yes, Mount Sinai. And Paul just said, the one from Mount Sinai bears children committed to slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai. So offensive, you guys. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. Rejoice, and then he quotes the Old Testament. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. The children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Wow. This this is the, the, the line of Isaac that was given by promise that Sarah, it was absolute miracle that Sarah had a baby. Sarah should not have had a baby. And she did. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. When he says you brothers, he's saying all you Greeks, all you Roman Gentile people, all of you that aren't of Jewish descent, you are the children of promise. Just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh. Oh, wait, I don't want to go there yet. He's saying all of you that live, live by faith. Not because you were born into it, but you actually believe it. You're the sons of Isaac. You're the sons of Abraham through Isaac, the child of promise. Not by a work of the flesh. If you could only be something if you were born into it, you have no control over it, right? And it's pretty much hopeless if you weren't born into it, right? There, there's no, you have no hope. He is crossing that line. The the Jewish men would wake up every morning and pray, Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman, a Gentile, or a slave. Thank you. Because 
by their by their uh, their rules and their laws and who could be where and who had access to what, those three groups were all excluded, excluded, excluded from when that Jewish man could take a hold of. Now we don't have a record of a descendant of Aaron saying, and thank you God that I'm not a Judahite. And thank you God that I'm not in the tribe of Dan. Because that was even more division. They didn't go that far. He's saying that doesn't count. God never wanted exclusion like that. God never wanted to kick people out that genuinely wanted to believe in him and come in. Just as the time, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So Ishmael was probably like 15 years, 17 years older than Isaac. Wow. Just think about that for a minute. So the two are born. One's like a teenager. The other one is just little bitty kid. They may have been like 10 years apart at the closest. And there was a point where Ishmael was making fun of Isaac. Like kids do. Although, of everything with Isaac and Ishmael, there's more going on than what's going on, right? Because it's Hagar and it's Sarah. And Hagar's sleeping with Abraham to have a child, but there's a whole lot more going on than just people sleeping together, right? Because they're trying to give descendants, they're trying to give family, they're trying to build this kingdom that God has promised. And when that happened, Sarah complained to Abraham and said, yet that woman that you had a child with, even though she's the one that told him to do it, right? Is pestering my kid. And that's when Hagar got put out, sent away forever, banished, if you will, along with Ishmael. Just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. What else is Paul doing here? He's saying, basically, everybody that's persecuting me, that's telling me that you aren't saved by grace, all those people are Ishmael kids. They're all Ishmaelites. Like, there's so many levels in here that are just offensive that we don't get because of our cultural things, but there's a bunch in here that people would just be like, oh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe you said that out loud. (laughs) So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, So you're saying, kick those guys out of your church. When those guys come to your synagogue and preach law, get them out of here. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we're the free woman. Again, he's using really harsh language. Remember earlier in Galatians, he said, if anybody comes to you preaching a gospel other than the gospel that I preached, they need to go to hell. And he used that... uh, Hey, no kids here. I don't have to be ready to G. Uh, He used that strong language against them to say they need to go where they deserve to go. Wow. Here it is again. He's saying, you need to make like Abraham to Hagar and 
banish them to the desert if they preach a law on you. All right, so how can we do this and not be so extreme? I don't care. I want to be extreme. (laughs) To be zealous with joy for the freedom that we have, right? Um, I know a guy and their husband and wife, and they they went to this Christian conference. And about midway through, the wife was like, this guy is just heaping law upon law upon law on all these people. Rule upon rule. And she was getting really mad. And the husband said, I know, but who's going to listen to us? And the the wife said, they're all going to listen to me. And she got up. It was like conference, a couple hundred people. The husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not going to work. Let's leave. So they left. They left and they went to Walmart and they got poster boards and markers. And they wrote down quotes from Galatians on the poster board. And they went back and they sat outside. You're free from the law. Uh, you're crucified with Christ and you no longer live. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Unconditionally. I mean, not unconditionally based on whether you believe it or not. Doesn't matter. If you kick the cat, you steal the hubcap. Christ is going to work that out of you and work in you while you're getting punished by the law for that. By the police law. So they put up these signs and the people that were open to hear, the people that were in that conference that thought, "Eh, something doesn't strike me right about this. They saw those signs and they came over and they talked and they had these very grace-filled conversations. Nobody went to jail. Nobody got embarrassed. They had these great conversations taking people to Galatians. Taking people to the scripture that says clearly that we are so free, you guys. So free. So, we have two more chapters of Galatians to do. Paul is really working hard to fix what he has left. But for us, we get a whole lesson on on what reality is. Um, Even though Paul never came to visit us. And to tell us what we were free from. We need, we need to hear this stuff over and over. I need to be told over and over. Every day, I feel, every day that I feel guilty, I need to be reminded that Jesus took my guilt. You know, every, just the same scenario. My, my son got a job this week. And um, I won't tell you where it is, but it's awesome. And the guy that owns the company, I helped start a church with. And I'm like, dude, did you tell him that you are my son? And he's like, I didn't even see him. He's not even there. I mean, he's got all these people working for him. Here we are, you guys. We are heirs. We are adopted. And when somebody says, are you a son of the Most High God? If we hide that, that reflects on our dad. Right? If... If at some point they run into David and they're like, Sullivan, is Dan Sullivan your dad? And he goes, oh, well, yeah. He's going to be like, oh, you guys aren't friends. 
Right? If somebody says, are you a Christian? Are you an heir of the Most High God, of all of His holiness and greatness? And I go, well, yeah. We talk sometimes. We FaceTime on Sundays. What does that make, how does that make him look, right? So I hope, I don't know what's going to happen, I'm going to hear this story at some point when Davo runs into him and he says, are you Sullivan? I hope David says, yes, you know my dad. He better. We'll see. Let's do that, right? Oh man, my heavenly father is so cool. My heavenly father is so compassionate. Do you know him? Are you an heir? If you're an heir, I know I'm an heir. That means we are brothers and we are sisters. Well, you know what I mean. You're my sister. All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you have brought us into your family, that you have adopted us. All of our past is wiped out and we are now part of you. And we praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that you would just make that show in our lives, that you would give us opportunities to show off the family that we are a part of and who who our daddy is. We love you and we thank you and we exalt you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing the wonderful grace of Jesus.